Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new black magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hey guys, welcome to the 58th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Adam Lowe. Today we've got Maura Anderson. She's a producer and director, Double Threat. She's going to talk to us about the differences between producing and directing, what she learns while she's producing, and how she applies that to directing, and how she broke into feature filmmaking and turned that into a great career. Yeah, it's really cool. She produced Miss 2059, the show I directed last year. She also was the production manager on Winter's bone and she just did a tv movie that she finished very recently so it's going to be insight from all angles but before we talk to her i just wanted to know this week specifically matt what have you been working on lately yeah well you know uh, we've talked about january being the slow season but i did realize i had a shoot right at the very end of last year that i wanted to talk about a little bit for cracked.com purveyors of hilarious internet comedy and, you know, things had kind of been like, you know, they were still actually pretty busy in, in December, but I knew that January was going to be slow. So I wanted to kind of like end my year with a bang. And I got a last minute call on this this project that was, you know, just kind of like another Internet sketch, you know, so the sort of jobs that we do all the time and are always really awesome and super fun, but can sometimes feel a little uh typical maybe and i thought you know what i really want to make 2017 a year where i put my back into everything that i work on and you know i felt like i've maybe gotten a little lazy or a little satisfied you know and that every job that i had last year would be one that i would have killed for at the very beginning of my career so why am i getting so complacent with everything and I was really lucky. Cracked is a wonderful company to work with. I was working with a producer I'd worked with a bunch of times before and really love. And that just that team was really awesome and great and really open. And um, I had the best time. Like it just everything paid off. Not every joke worked, you know, but I, I definitely felt that I improved the sketch in significant ways. And it was so fun. And it's easy to forget that like the gratification of making something can be you know, just, just like I said, super fun and super entertaining. I was having the time of my life because I'd put in all of that work. And somehow I'd kind of forgotten that a little bit. You want to save your wife and kids from an intruder in your home with that baseball bat you keep under the bed so they'll respect you again. At Man's Ultimate Fantasy Hotline, we'll make you their ultimate protector. Oh no, I got you! 
Yeah. We'll make you feel like a man. There hasn't been an armed break-in in your neighborhood in the 20 years you've lived there. But that's not going to stop you from being a man. Sick Protect your family from harm. Not harm like the actual... You know, everyone's pitching ideas. It was the super fun, collaborative sort of situation. Like, we're doing weird camera gags and stuff. And, you know, I felt really supported, you know, as a, as a result. And... um that was it. It was a, just a wonderful way to end 2017 or start 2017, I should say. And so I guess maybe the lesson was just like, hey, don't take things for granted, you know? Yeah, that's my problem. I take yeah. everything for granted. <laughs> yeah, me too. Right. I think it's just like, well, it's not the feature that I wanted to do this year or something. But like doing a, a funny sketch gets you those features if you keep putting your back into it. Yeah, I get frustrated sometimes when I see like a really good sketch where I'm like, ah, if I would have directed that, I don't know if I would have put as much effort into it as this person did, but they like really made it awesome. And I have to kind of keep reminding myself that literally like one thing you make could be the thing thing. that kind of, you know, J.J. Abrams sees and says like, hey, I want this kid to work with me. Or, you know, I mean, I I was just listening to um, the year end review episode that'll be online by the time you guys are hearing this, but we were talking about how neither of us felt like we had a silver bullet of like, Hey, I love this video. Send this to people when you're pitching me for jobs. Right. Neither of us have that. But the reason that you don't have that is because you're not giving it your all all the time, you know? Yeah. That's what my wife says. Bad wife joke. Put your back into it. (laughs) Yeah. No, this, this year is, going to be an introspective one i'm trying to dive back in deep hard into the writing process right into creating into today i was like why don't i just grab my dslr and just like walk around town and take some photos like i used to do that all the time yeah and just like randomly shoot stuff and you know there's like a muscle memory to making putting images on you know film right so to creating images yeah yeah and so I think I'm going to get more into that. It also makes you happier and a better artist overall, even if you don't use any of those photos for pitches or even if they're all terrible, it still helps you become a better artist. Yeah. You just got to exercise. I'm doing this VFX project right now. And my very first instinct was to make it look exactly like every other VFX project I've ever done. And I'm like, I must stop just doing the same thing (laughs) over and over. And actually, I meant to call Tim Nakashi. I didn't, but I'm going to call him tomorrow and ask him like, for some recommendations of just like cool visual effects places to get inspired. Oh, cool. Like when he's about to pitch a music video, where does he go to find cool, like just see what people are doing, you know? Right. Yeah. What's the cutting edge shit? Yeah, exactly. So cool, man. Well, let's talk to Mara, see what kind of edges she's cutting. There we go. Hey folks, we're interrupting this incredible episode of the podcast to tell you about a new sponsor that we're working with, Front Row Insurance Brokers. One of the challenges of being a filmmaker is that there's a lot of risks that we take and we really just want to focus on making good stuff. So what if there was a company that could take those risks, manage them for us while we are being artists? That's right. Front Row Insurance Brokers arranges film production insurance to cover the risks associated with your production. They cover features, TV shows, documentaries, commercials, music videos, webisodes, 
basically anything you can watch on big, medium, or phone-sized screens. Yeah, Front Row will help you focus on your artistic vision by transferring all the risks to them and minimizing your production hazards. And they cover any budget from $2,000 all the way up to $200 million. There's nothing that's too small or too big. If you are shooting in Canada, use coupon code JUSTSHOOTIT50 off for 50 bucks off your film production insurance. That's promo code JUSTSHOOTIT50 off to save 50 bucks. And if you're shooting in the U.S., that same code can be redeemed offline by mentioning it to a broker, by email, or over the phone. It's like a cool password if you're in the U.S. That's just shoot it 50 off. Check them out. Let us know how it goes. Hey, so we have Mara Anderson. Mara? Yeah. Mara? Mara. Moira. Mara Anderson here on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm hello, excited. Hello, yeah. So Mara produced Miss 2059, which is the show I directed. We've talked a ton about on this podcast. And she's also produced a ton of other stuff. And she also is a director. And she just finished directing her second movie. Yes. So that's awesome. So what's how are you producing big stuff and directing big stuff at the same time? Well, the directing is mostly small stuff so so far. But I started as an actor. So that was the sort of origin. And then I went into producing for a really long time. And then only in the last like four years, I guess, I sort of shifted into directing, which was sort of, I think, even since acting school, what I wanted to do. But it was just a very long journey to get back to that. So you never I, went to film school? I didn't go to film school. No, I went to an acting conservatory, though, for film. Which so it was one? specific. Uh, it was called the School for Film and Television. It is now New York Dramatic Academy or something. Oh, yeah. I always want to call it the show from or the school from Glee, (laughs) Niata, but I I actually don't know if that's the name. But yeah, it was the school for film and television. It was the only acting conservatory that was actually focused on film. Like we had had, teaching people to hit their marks and yeah, continuity and um, got it. Yeah, that's why you're such a continuity Nazi. I know you should be a script supervisor. And also now having edited two films, I'm Mm. like in the editing room cursing people because they miss their continuity and now we can't use their best performance. So. Mm. Well, do you guys, I mean, you know, this is like a big thing you, people always talk about in the edit, which is like how important is continuity, you know, and if somebody is noticing it, then it means that something's not good. Right. I mean, that's what yeah. people always say, like, Oh, if someone notices yeah, that. Yeah. But I, I, I mean, I, yes, but I think also it's actually like a subconscious bump. Mm-hmm. Like you're watching something and then you don't even, I mean, now I know what it is because I, I've done it a couple times, but I think as a viewer, you're like, that was weird. Like why the edit takes you, it jars you. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it ends up being a continuity thing or their like head was turned and, but I'm, I'm learning new stuff on this one. I learned about cutting on S's, which mm. I didn't know. Oh, no. Which is like, a, yeah, yeah, I'd never heard of that. But the editor is like, oh, yeah, I cut on an S. And she like went to USC. And I was like, oh, I guess you know what you're talking yeah, about. She but, went to US and then yeah. she cut. Yeah, the, exactly. Cut to the profile view. I went to USC. I didn't take the you, cut on S class. Yeah. I took yeah. cut oh, on motion. Class yeah, cut on motion. A, a few weeks on. I mean, I knew that. The like, okay, action. cut on an action. And like mm-hmm. the, you know, the whole like door open thing. And yeah. Like cut on the, but so what's the logic behind cutting on an S? I, I don't, it's something about the way that we hear, like we're, we hear them. It's a smooth cut because you don't, the S sound is so long huh. that I think you can, you, you can it kind of kinda stitch can, it a little bit. Yeah. Huh. It, it like bridges on either side of the cut or something. I actually don't know, <laughs> but, and, it, but works. it works. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. I think that so. does make sense. But I think we've talked before on the podcast about how, 
like I used to try to do like a bunch of L cuts. We even had when we had Sam Reich on, he's like, I hate L cuts, you know? Yeah. And I was like, me too. Like I hate when an editor is just like cutting in the middle of the words. Yeah. And even on Miss 2059, I would say I had a whole argument with one of our editors, Ben, and him and I would like watch episodes of like scenes from Mad Men and from the people versus OJ Simpson, because I was claiming that like most editors, most good TV shows, they don't cut yeah. in the middle of a word. They'll cut like mm-hmm. between sentences or phrases or thoughts. But maybe, maybe I'll try cutting on S's. We'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's reserved for gonna, spe- like sure. needed opportunities. <laughs> right. Because I agree. I mean, cutting in the middle of, I actually remember being there for that argument. I think. <laughs> yeah. Whereas like cutting in the middle of a sentence is sometimes... Unless whatever the reaction is, like they're reacting to the first half of the sentence or something and the rest of it doesn't matter. But mm-hmm. you do, I realize like how much if something's playing off screen, just not seeing somebody's mouth, you just don't, you don't clock it as much as you do if you're watching them. Yeah, it kind of depends on what sort of information you're trying to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Or hide. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Show Like showcase or hide. Right. Yeah. Matt Barber, who we've had on the podcast, always talks about that. Like if you want to punch something, if you want to make sure someone gets an idea, make sure the person saying it is on screen. Yeah. And ideally in a close-up. Yeah. And yeah. even if, some, he would, he talks about keeping characters alive in a scene. And if a character doesn't say much in a scene, you might even forget they're in that scene. Mm-hmm. Unless yeah. you like do a cutaway to like a we, reaction from them. Which is weird too. Like I've run into that in a couple of scenes where you're like, well, they're like, wait, is this person even in here? And it was kind of like something that was set up that isn't really being paid off. But you're like, no, no, they're there. Mm-hmm. But just the coverage you end up using, you don't really see them or you're not focusing on them. And then it's like weird to do a cutaway because they don't really have anything right. to do with the scene. So you're kind of arbitrarily cutting away at some reaction that might not jar people. Right. And that and it's just weird. I In those cases, I always think about how I wish I'd done a silent take, you know, like yeah. I love the idea of just getting interesting reactions that communicate the dialogue more or less, right? Totally. Even if it's one that kind of you can bounce between different people, I but I never do it. You know. I know. I that's really smart to do yeah, that. Yeah, that's like one of those great ideas that that you never have never time do. for because you're like, oh yeah, we're already four hours behind. And if you're already set up and like you only do it once, it's probably worth it. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's like that's no, true. Sorry, I'm making this the callback episode, but when Oren Brimmer was on here, he said, "Do a take where it's just crazy. You know, people are just like improvising and just going nuts. You know, yeah, and get that out of the way, and then like kind of settle down. Yeah." The interesting, And I was like, yes, that is a genius idea. And I had this big directing project coming up. I'm like, I'm going to do that on every single thing. It was, I think, the funnier night thing. And we, we didn't do it. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> we're two hours behind. Just say the lines. Oh, no, the guys from Activision didn't like the way you said that. Can yeah. you say it differently? Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, all the planes go out the window when it took three hours to light. Right. The right. car rig won't stay on the car. <laughs> like, whatever. Well, so knowing that you, just to give like a, you, you produce like a Netflix show, right? It might, I might be on Netflix now. I don't, it was originally a direct TV show, Okay. but it was like a, it was Fox and direct TV kind of partnering up. It was like the beginning of the whole branded content thing. Um, Cause I saw it on Netflix, the, the, it the might parallel universe Netflix, show, right? Parallels. I didn't Parallels. do that one, oh, but I've worked with, yeah, I worked with Bryce and Chris for a show called suit up, which was the first show that they, they worked together on. And then with Fox digital with Fox digital. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then I also did a show called bad Samaritans with Fox digital, which was not any of them. It was Walt Becker EP who did like glory days. And then we had five different directors 
one oh, for wow. each episode. Did you do Wolfpack of Reseda? I did Wolfpack too, which was also the same director as Suit Up in Parallels. Okay. Yeah. Cool. That was actually the first one I did was Wolfpack. And then actually on Miss 2059, she was hired to be the line producer. Yeah. And then our producer left and they bumped her up oh, before nice. we started shooting or anything. Yeah. I mean, she produced it, but. Yeah. Um, I was like, he was actually the, pro- he was the producer on Wolfpack and I hadn't, I had done like a couple commercials with him, but I had been producing since then. So I hadn't really worked with him and he called and he was like, do you want to do this? I was like, yeah, sure. I'm not doing anything. I like working with you. Like, let's do it. But yeah, then one of his shows that he was already producing kind of went awry. So he had to go travel for that. Right. But so, it all worked out. So given all your experience producing kind of like long form stuff and short forms, like kind of all over across the board, did you like, were you wa- watching the directors in the production and like thinking like when you direct your project, like what, like Ye- what you like that people do and what you don't like? And can you share some of that with us? Um, yeah, yes and no. I think cause I came, I came up through, so I went to acting school six months after school. I realized I didn't want to be an actor and had kind of a... That's nice and fast, right? Yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, I only went to school for two years, yeah. so it was kind of okay. Yeah, six months after, I was like, I don't want to do that. And what am I going to do now? And I went to a party where it was right after Sundance and all these people had just come back with this film. It was kind of like a mutual friend was like, we're going to a party. Do you want to come? And so I was sitting there talking to... It was a director and a producer of a film. And I kind of jokingly to the producer was like, you need any interns at your production company? And he was like, yeah. So I went in the next week, interviewed and started interning there. Do you remember what the film was? The Sunday uh, film? Year of the Fish, which was, I mean, it Mm. was probably 2006, maybe. Okay. Which is, it's actually a really cool film. It's all drawn, like rotoscope drawing. Okay, Mm. right. And they shot it in Chinatown. They shot it live action. And then they like went back and rotoscoped the entire thing. But yeah, so I went and interned and then they one of the girls left three months into me interning. So they hired me and I worked there for like eight months and then left to go produce a short film for a friend of mine who just did the witch. So he oh, did. Cool. Well. Yeah. yeah. He directed the witch. Yeah. He directed the witch. Oh, cool. I want to see um, that. I grew up. Oh yeah, man, we were it's like, so good. Yeah. 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 What's um, his name? Robert Eggers. So we did, I produced the telltale heart, which was, it's like a 20 minute short. Uh huh. And we found this historical house in New Hampshire and he basically lived there for like two months and painted, you know, the floor, the whole house like by hand and built everything. And it was just kind of how he sort of. For the short? For the short. Yeah. Wait, tell me more about the short. What what happens in it? It's the story of the Telltale. Oh, okay. But the the old guy is actually a puppet, which nobody knows. But if you watch it, it's, it was designed and created by a girl that works for Jim Henson. It was really cool. Anyway, so I went to do that short. And then I started production coordinating and kind of went up the production chain. And then I was working in the office with a friend at that company that was line producing a film. And she was like, Hey, I'm going to do this film. Like, you want to come production manage for me? And that film was Winter's Bone. Oh, <laughs> so, oh cool. That means you're the production yeah. manager yeah. on yeah. Winter's Bone? Yeah. Oh. Which was like my first production managing job. I oh, was like, cool. yeah, cool. That sounds yeah. fun. Let's go shoot something in Missouri. So so I did that and then production managed a couple more films with her. We did a film in New York and Alaska. Wait, so when you were shooting Winter's Bone, you didn't know it was going to no. be so well. I mean, it was really cool. Like it was a cool yeah. experience and it was very, um, the producer and the director had been going there for 
probably like a year and a half, right, two they were years. They doing like documentary stuff there, weren't they? Or uh, like interviewing people? For for that, they did a film before that was a little bit more, it wasn't documentary though, it was a narrative, but it was a similar style where they like go and talk to, really mm-hmm. like the have a relationship with these people. Mm-hmm. Area. And most of the people in, a lot of the secondary characters in that are people that lived there that they right. had met. Right. And the house, like the main compound that we shot on was three siblings and their parents all lived but they had like a feud with one of the brothers so he kind of lived off to the side <laughs> and then that but it was really fascinating and so they built trust and a relationship with these these families and then most of the location films I've done we end up with sort of a almost location liaison that mm-hmm. knows everybody in the community that trusts them because right. you're going right. into these like tiny towns and they're like who are you why I'm not going to yeah, let like, you in my house like, like a Hollywood people with a camera yeah, yeah it's just weird and they don't really I mean, here we see it every day. So it's normal in New York, same. But if I showed up, like there might be someone standing there with a shotgun on the property right. and they have to be like, hey, Bob, like, like it's all good. They're yeah. good. Don't worry. So yeah, so we, they, they have been going there. And, and also, I think that also brought a lot of authenticity because they knew musicians and they knew people that kind of were these characters so they could mm. put them into secondary roles and really like, so make a world. When Jennifer Lawrence is skinning that, Squirrel, is that for real? Yeah. We we actually all learned how to skin squirrels. It was a lesson. But they... they so you're allowed to do that? I guess. Uh, yeah, you just don't get the SPCA. Yeah, like... <laughs> I, uh, I don't... I actually don't totally know... I probably should know the rules on that. I feel like we actually might have... Because they... The guy, our location liaison, had actually, like, hunted them the winter before. They were frozen. So he, oh. he like hunted them and then mm-hmm. froze them. And then we had they were like the four of them or something for that shot. But yeah, no, she like learned how to do it. It's actually pretty like you, they, you kind of turn them inside out. That's like how you skin a squirrel. It's awesome. weird. You like make Maura four cuts. And this then is you, like, the most hilarious thing. <laughs> <laughs> to me, that like scene where she skins the squirrel, which is pretty early on in the movie is yeah. like when you're like, oh damn, this is like for real. Like for she's real. that yeah. person. And she's not flinching at all. She's just skin, skinning yeah. squirrels. And yeah. then when you were shooting it, were people like, whoa, she's like really good? No, but the director actually like fought for her. I don't know who didn't want her because it wasn't, or not didn't want her, but I think it was kind of a, this isn't a film actor. This is, you know, she had been on the Bill Enball show. Like she hadn't done a ton of stuff at that point. So I think it was the director. Be- and she's, mm-hmm. I haven't, I've only seen clips of that show, but it's, very different from the tone of Winter's Bone. So I think that the director was like, no, no, this is this is the girl. She's like the I one. see. Which special. I love when that happens and then they like break out like yeah. that. You're like, see, I, I knew I saw something. Yeah. For every time that happens, there's like 20,000 times it doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Everyone I fought for is now not an actor anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> just kidding. Just go against your instinct. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's not a bad idea. Well, so what, what did you learn from... These from directors. producing well yeah I, all right about like as a producer what did you see that like directors did that you didn't like like what kind of director did you like to produce for or not um not like like obviously someone like me is like just a pleasure it's just a dream with. come true right well, yeah i mean i'm not i'm not this isn't like being suck up ish sure. but i know it is though like because you it, it the people that i like to work with it, they collaborated and they like understood what mm-hmm the like the level that the project was at and they understood and a lot of those projects too I was line producing so I'm like in charge of the budget and I always tried to come at it from a very creative angle and understanding that 
you know, how we're spending money is going to affect what is on screen and that it's important not to just say, no, we can't do that, but to try to figure out, like, I always tried to come to the director with like, hey, look, so we can't do this one thing. It's, you know, way over budget, but here's three solutions that I thought of, you know, let's brainstorm if there are others, but not be a no person, Mm -hmm. just kind of be like, okay, we're on the same team. Like, let's figure out what the best way to do this is. And I feel like directors that are willing to do that are in the end, it ends up being better because it's also now having been on the other side of it, like I totally understand the frustration of somebody coming up to be you and being like, Mm -hmm. we can't do this thing. And you're like, I can't think of another way to do it right now. And I don't, and this is the, I know this is the best way to do it. Right. Like, and if we don't do it this way, it's just going to suck. And there's producers that almost like hide it from the director. Like they baby yeah. a director. Like you say, like, we're going to need 50 extras. And they're like, okay, we'll see what we can do. And then the yeah. day mm-hmm. before they're like, listen, so we had to move some numbers around, but we which got is, you 15 extras, which is like, they only wanted to give you 10. So you should yeah. be right. happy. And you're like, the which scene is, doesn't work with no. 15. And, the, and that I, I'm like very against that method of producing too. Cause I think. Like if you came to them two weeks before and said that, like maybe you had time to rewrite the scene, yeah, like figure out a it. different solution that actually worked. But just being, I don't like when producers are like tricky or manipulative or think yeah. they're like being smarter than everyone because they're not. And they're kind of just messing up the project in the end of it. And we're adults, right? Like right, we, that's the we, thing. we all like, know the deals. We yeah. only have so much money. So let's figure it out. Especially when you're working at, that level like everybody right. know you don't like sign up for a project being like oh yeah this is a five hundred thousand dollar film we're gonna have everything we want like you right. know there's gonna be compromises when you get into it so w- why not figure out what those compromises are as far ahead as you can because mm-hmm. you're yeah. never gonna have time on the day to refigure it and then make the best version that you can right. ahead of time so i've always tried to come at that angle f- with producing and line producing and then i feel like it definitely has helped me having that experience as a director more just because I'm aware of it. And also because they're bad producers. Like I haven't had that experience fortunately yet, but I know there are people where I'm like, I know, I know the questions to ask now. So I'm like, I know this is needs to happen. And I feel like we're not making the preparations Mm -hmm. to do that. And that's only going to fuck me on the day. So I'm probably annoying to producers. Cause I'm like sitting there like backseat producing, right. <laughs> but uh, it's fine. I feel like I'm when the producer is not great, I'm like backseat producing. But when the yeah. producer, like when I worked with you, I felt like I didn't really have to worry about anything. Which just, is hopefully what you get from people. Like that's, right. I, that's what a producer is supposed to be so that yeah. you're not worrying about it and you can focus on what you're supposed to do. In like the brand and content and commercial world, I feel like a lot of times the producer's number one priority is to make the client happy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so they will always choose the client's opinion over the the directors yeah. and they'll never fight for, not never, but oftentimes they yeah. won't fight for the creative. And that's, and that's when you have to go back and say like, no, we can't afford the steady cam. Let's just, how much are we paying for the grip right. equipment? How much, well, we don't, let me see the grip list. Let me see this. Yeah. We don't yeah. need Let's to start yeah. micromanaging where every dollar goes because they're telling you you can't do the stuff that you know if you're producing yourself you can do. You could do, yeah. But if you're working with a great producer, they'll either let you in on the nitty gritty, like, hey, just so you know, our, the permit costs were three thousand dollars because right. of this. We didn't expect that, so yeah. we're trying to figure out where to pull from. Or I think right. maybe the other way to do it is like for a producer to be like, hey, I know you love this location. It costs three thousand extra dollars that we weren't planning on. Right. 
help are you there, are you yeah, okay with those ramifications right yeah right. No, and I think that, yeah, I think that's key is giving the director the choice. Because sometimes there are those decisions where you're like, we can do this or this. Like, I'm fine with either one, but you tell me what you think is the best. And sometimes it's hard to anticipate what they're really going to want, right? Like, especially if it's a person you've only worked with a couple times, you know, people will be like, oh, well, you know, the location is so important. And sometimes you're like, well, it's just white walls, you know, or something. And, And also... Like you, I guess there's like a boy who cried wolf element to it too, where if the director, cause I feel like the directors I really enjoyed working with when they tell me something's important, I actually believe them because yeah. they don't do that about everything. Right. So when they're like, no, this scene is going to be ruined if this one thing doesn't happen, you're like, oh, okay, let's let, that's obviously important to you. So let's figure out how to make that work. Where if they're just kind of dicks about everything, then you're like, I don't really know. I feel like you just want it because you want it and yeah. it doesn't, you're not even really thinking about the end result. So you, you do start to be like, right. eh, yeah. okay. there's definitely the directors that like, if you just made a decision without involving them, it pisses them off, you know? Yeah. Which I mean is semi valid considering you're, you are the one on the hook in the end right, most sure. of the time. Yeah. But, but there are certain things too, where you're like, that's kind of a, a weird judgment call sometimes because you're like, do I want to distract them from this thing they're doing to ask them about this other thing that like they may care about, they probably won't care about. Like there's definitely a lot of those kind of calls, like when to bring certain things up. And like there's there's a fair bit of like picking your battles, but I feel like that's all film, like every job in film, it's all kind of this exercise in psychology and like how do you figure each person out and like what works best for them and Right. I mean, the that's opposite what of what Matt said. Like, none of us are really adults. <laughs> um, yeah, but don't you do that with it? <laughs> like, isn't that just people? Yeah. I will do a thing that I don't think has ever worked where at lunch, if things are going a little slow, I'll kind of pull a producer aside and be like, hey, how big of a deal is it if we go overtime? Yeah. And every time they're like, we can't do it. <laughs> and like, you know, maybe, maybe they're like fudging a little bit and I have 15 minutes or like yeah. maybe, you know, we can start wrapping some stuff and I'll shoot like MOS or whatever. Right. But for the most part, it has always backfired. Whereas I should just like what not is your, realize. So is your goal for them to be like, oh yeah, no, it's cool. We can go over. Like what's your. Yeah. Thing? Yeah. My goal is like, hey, They'll listen, never do that. like <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm saying like I need to go over, yeah. but I have enough time that I can cram everything in and yeah. make everything 15% worse. Right. Right. That's really what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, I thought you had more ulterior motives where it's like now the producer is going to apply pressure on the crew. That's what I thought you were going to say. No, it was like they're, go then yeah. you're going to like, and they're going to be you. a minion like going yeah, yeah, out yeah. into the Wouldn't world it be nice? be like, talk no. to the AD and be like, dude, we got to speed yeah. things up. Like he's talking about overtime. Like, Yeah. I, to me, like I feel like talking to the AD never works for me. Like I, I'm like so schedule minded that like an AD has zero control over whether or not we're making our day. Yeah, I, I'm similar. I, I do like I sometimes get into it, though, and forget about the clock or I wish or they're like, hey, you know, it, it's been like 45 minutes. I'm like, shit, it's been really OK. Yeah. I thought that was like four minutes. Sorry. And like, but I I definitely am aware of it, too. I think that's I think healthy. It, I think that's better, frankly, to be right. in it than and let some <laughs> delegate somebody, the problem. To but if they do, though, because yeah. that's the problem if somebody doesn't and you're and then you're like, wait, but but I needed like an hour and a half to do this next scene. And now we have 15 minutes. Like right. what? So, well, I thought, I don't know. I thought our first on miss 2059 he, was really good. Jordan's like, awesome. Yeah. yeah. He's to me. There's like one, the biggest yeah. thing that makes the difference between like a good crew member 
no matter where, if they're a PA or a producer and everything in between is like whether they care about the creative, you know? And it's not, you don't need to do much, but if it's like, if the gaffer is like proud of the lighting and it thinks it helps the scene, that's like all I want. If the gaffer is just like telling his guy to turn on that light because it's like the easiest thing to do, then I'll be kind of frustrated. And Jordan is like an AD that, will be at the monitor and look at things and like yeah. think about if the scene is working and offer ideas if we're running out of time. Yeah. So. And he's also a really, he was a really good liaison because I, I feel like that's often a sort of bridge that gets burned is between production and then the like director DP AD triangle. Sure. Yeah. There's always so much, I, I think unnecessary tension, but there's kind of this us versus them mentality mm-hmm. on a lot of sets. And I think it's not beneficial for anyone I can sometimes understand why, but I think the AD is that bridge between those two. Mm, interesting. And they're the good ones are like sneaky about it. Mm-hmm. Like nobody knows that they're like relaying information to you, but they are. <laughs> but they they keep it from becoming this like, blah. and they'll like help you with, okay, well, this is the problem. How are we going to kind of come at this as a team and figure out what the best mm-hmm. solution to make our day and get all the shots we want and do this and do that. So, right. Well, I have an example from Miss 2059 that I was telling Matt about earlier, which is, you know, we've had we had a whole episode about how crazy that was because, you know, oh, I had a baby in the middle of I should shoot. go back and listen yeah. to it. Um, the show must go on. Which I, I think that episode is pretty good. The one where and then, you know, my uncle died like a week later yeah. after you had my baby was born. Crazy um, couple weeks there. I felt like I was like involved, very much involved in Oren's like personal life just exploding in those two weeks. Yeah, well, it's like. There's always that question of whether you should be like, hey, give me a break. I had a baby last night <laughs> or just like totally separate it and, you know, say that that shouldn't have any. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're a any effect human, though. Yeah. I feel like sometimes people forget that where you're like, these are all people, you know, yeah, <laughs> like, <right. laughs> other stuff's happening. Yeah. There's this podcast. I love Startup, which I've talked about before. I love Startup. Yeah. And he interviews the people that are making these shows that are so good. And they're like crying in the interviews because they're so stressed out and they don't know how to make anything good. <laughs> and it, I I love that part because knowing that like people are insecure, even though they're like professionals is like makes me feel better about myself. I would say there's like way more crying on Startup, which is a show about technology well, and like people. Starting, it's, not, it's about business. It's, yeah, it's, it's about, about business. But like there's business, right? probably a thousand percent more crying on that show than any other piece of art about business and technology. <laughs> right. Like there's but I, like but people like, sob. Like the CEO yeah. like broke down. But I think that's because they're like showing the behind the scenes. Yeah, like everyone so. puts on this face of like, yeah, no, my startup, it's awesome. This is going yeah. well. And then they go home and they cry. Yeah. And he did the sitting at his kitchen table with his wife being like, what am I doing? I loved that about it because yeah. that's, I think every creative person feels that way all the time and nobody talks about it because you all want to be like, no, I'm doing great. Like right. this thing's happening. And I mean, every person, like, can you imagine Hillary Clinton? Remember like the night that she lost, like if you had a tape recorder there to get her exact thoughts, that's like what startup is. Yeah. Well, anyway, so we were shooting Miss 2059 and so we had this whole club scene that was already impossible. To me, that was like, if we had to cut an episode, let's cut that episode. So we had to find this club location and we looked everywhere. We couldn't find anything we liked. Finally, we found this weird club in Hawthorne Hawthorne, by LAX. Sounds like a cool it club. It wasn't even guys. a club. It was like a weird it was like soundstage. A DJ, yeah, they like were a demo DJ. Booth. Mm. <laughs> well, like, they, were a D- they rented DJ equipment. So they had all their equipment set up in the... 
in the studio and then like rented it out as a quote unquote right. club. They had like kind of the coolest laser light display I ever saw. But we went there like two or three times. We scouted it. We showed it. We did the tech scout. We got the permits, all this stuff. And we're shooting, you know, these crazy, like what a show that I thought we should shoot in 30 days and 18 days. And um, Mora, at, it's like 5 p.m. or something. And we're shooting yeah, the club on a tomorrow Friday. on a Friday. <laughs> I forgot that. Ugh. And we're supposed to shoot on Saturday at this club. And she just like the most calm person ever just like pulls me aside like at five, like a couple hours before we wrap. And she's like, just so you know, there were some permanent issues with that club in Hawthorne. So we got to we can't shoot there. And I was like, and I was panicking. And that's like when with most other producers, I would be like, like, I feel like most other producers would be like, let's just shoot on this stage. Let's just move the walls and let's just like we can make that corner of this stage look like a club. And I would be like, no, it's like (laughs) shit. But she had like three other clubs. She'd already like kind of had a scout out, like found places, had photos, was like right there. Like, what do you think of? Here's three options. I think this one's the best. What do you think? And I was like, yeah, I like that one. Actually, it's it's actually probably a little cooler than the location we had. And she's like, okay, well, we're going to scout it right after. <laughs> right shoot. now at yeah. 9 p.m. on Friday. <laughs> yeah. And we wrapped. Yeah. At 9 p.m. We went there. We, they were literally like setting up the club to open for the night. It's like a oh, Hollywood nice. nightclub, which yeah. by the way. Like if you've ever been into a Hollywood nightclub with the lights on, oh, it's Don't, gross. Yeah, it's I mean, bad. I the dirtiest, dirtiest <laughs> furniture and the cups and everything we, you've ever seen. So we we shot at a bunch of different bars for shitty boyfriends, and we definitely found coke hidden in one of the plants, like nice. a little baggie. And then like everyone was laughing about it, and then later it was gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, finding yeah. coke hidden in a plant is one thing, but seeing, I mean, there's definitely like semen stains. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you the you just don't want to touch anything. anything. Yeah. 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 So you guys got all of those like clean white suits basically yeah. for everyone no, to we work just in? extras yeah. there. Um, <laughs> Washed in hand sanitizer <laughs> yeah. when you left. But yeah, the next day we shot there without skipping a beat. It was actually closer to my house, so it's convenient. Yeah. yeah, and it was like weeks of prep it was getting weeks yeah. ready prep. for yeah. that place and I driving mean, there and all this crazy stuff. And so that's why it's so impressive, which I don't know what magic you did, but within it was like not just me. Three it was a, hours yeah, it was we a, got permitted to shut down we even like shut down the street in Hollywood. Yeah. On a it Saturday. was insane. I I mean Phil Melly was like very helpful at that point and they felt terrible because oh, it was like cool. partly well, that's good. Yeah. But also, I mean it was it, I wish that I had a little camera in that production office when we got that <laughs> phone call because it was like, What do we do? So everybody was calling every person that they knew that had some connection to a nightclub and like the new form people had shot in that club. Yeah, the Argyle. Some, yeah. The oh, Argyle. Okay. Yeah. You're um, always in style with Argyle. So they called they had a contact and we called him and in it all very magically. I was actually shocked though. I was like, we were like, okay, our backup plan is this is we're canceling tomorrow and we're shooting yeah. on Monday. And like, how much does that cost? And what do we right, do? And right. uh, yeah, it was a, it was definitely a team effort from, from the whole office, but I was, I was amazed. I was it like, would have been wow, totally reasonable bad. to just shoot on Monday too. Like well, that would have been like a we totally were had fine. this whole other schedule, and sure. I would have had a baby on Monday. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're lucky, uh, but you guys didn't know that. Yeah, no, we had. Yeah. yeah, we had like yeah. it was kind of everything was like contingent on this very tight thing. Yeah. Like that if we mess that up, the whole domino. Boy, that's an A plus right there, right? But it, it, I always kind of jokingly. It, like with directing, because I feel like this with casting, it always kind of works out how it's supposed to, and that was a very prime example of that, where it was this like really time efficient thing. They were like, no, no, no. If somebody had said you lose your location at four 30, are you shooting tomorrow? I'd be like, no, yeah, there's yeah. no way. Yeah, so the fact that it came together that quickly, it was like, and also, I mean, I feel like you, you made 
very quick adjustments to how I mean because that was a it was like a stunt scene there was like a whole fight sequence mm. in it there was yeah. all and this our art department was all set to use all this uh, all these props that existed in the for, yeah. in the right, place we were mentioning. and the lighting was like you know yeah. completely different and you're dealing with laser lights so things are like pre-programmed and yeah and yeah. we had like 50 everyone made a lot of day. adjustments and it was it was crazy and yeah. hopefully that never happens to <laughs> anyone or to me again because it was very stressful. Yeah. I'll say that day when we went to lunch, it was like all it was like a nightclub full of like aliens. It was like the weirdest lunch because like yeah. everyone at lunch just had yeah. Like, it was like fifty aliens. Yeah, like two faces. I mean, that's what you're in stuff. it for, right? It's those moments when you look around and you're like, oh right, this is my job. That's when you're yeah. like, I wish my mom was here to see like <laughs> right this, yeah. that I accomplished something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So anyway, so let's get back to your directing career. So. Just to get this on the fast track. Yeah. Did you did you write your first movie? I I did not know. So I met Valinda, who was one of the writers. Valinda and Todd wrote co-wrote the film. And I came on I was I had just done a film called Would You Rather, which was sort of my first producing feature in LA. I had just moved here like eight months before before that. And I did that. I ended up meeting Valinda at the rap party. She was friends with the other producer that was on the film. And I was sort of starting to, honestly, at the beginning of that year, I'd been like, do I want to produce? Like, is this really what I want to do? And I was like, I'm just going to give it all of my effort for one year and see what happens. And kind of right after I said that, I got Would You Rather. So I was like, I should just do this. I should find my own projects and like figure out, you know, what I, what I want to focus on. So I met her. She had just finished the script. And uh, I think I it might have taken a couple months, but I read the script fairly soon after I met her. And it was an early draft, but it was really the characters are really interesting. It was a story. The, the lead character is a lesbian, but it like wasn't about that, which was at that point pretty unique. I feel like there's more stories like that now, mm-hmm. with especially with like Transparent and like all these shows coming out. But so I was like, oh, this is really cool. This is like a this is different. I can see the world really clearly. Like she's from Oklahoma. So they did a really good job in the script of like having these super specific details that are I'm from New England. So the Midwest is like a foreign world. And I was like, oh, I see this world. Like I, I get these people. So at that point, I was like, I really would like to produce like I'd like to be attached to this and figure out how to work together and. So we started trying to fundraise and kind of go the traditional route and find financiers and all that, which is super frustrating, as you guys know. How much were you trying to raise? At that point, we were, what was our, I want to say our first budget was like, it was under 500. It was like, I think it was probably around 500 was like the first iteration of the budget. And then that didn't work after like six months or something. And what were your first steps when you were trying to fundraise? Uh, Like what was frustrating about it it besides being, you know, I mean, it's just a lot of first, it's kind of the game of six degrees. Like we sat down and made a list of like everybody we know that because I don't, I don't, I didn't, I've never really financed anything. Like I always come onto the project after it has money. So I didn't really have the first clue of where to start. So we sat down and we kind of made a list of everyone we knew. And then at some point we kind of were like, this is going to take forever. Like we're never going to. Because we kind of went through our list of people. We were, you know, doing the follow-ups. Like, you'd go down these tangents, and then it would dead end. And you're like, okay, well, let's try the next person. And you go down that. But everything took so long that it was like, we're going to be doing this for five years. And we're asking for $500,000. Like, it's not that much money. And then you have that whole cast attachment thing, which sort of 
has shifted, I think, a lot in the last few years because there were so many indies attaching people and then didn't have their financing and then the movie never happened. And I think I think there are a couple of situations where actors were actually losing out on jobs because people were like, oh, they're attached to this film. Like they're not we're available for that time. Month, yeah. yeah. And so a lot of agents just stopped doing that. They're like, no, we're not. We're not attaching you for purposes of financing. Like you need to send us an offer with a date and a pay or play and that's it. So we were kind of going through that process, but we didn't have money. So it was, and then we were also applying for the tax incentive. So it was all, all these things kind of happening. So at some point we were like, what, what is the least amount of money that we could make this thing for? And I did a budget that cut, you know, everything out Mm -hmm. and included a tax incentive. And we got it down to like 150, I think like we can raise this. Let's like, let's do crowdfunding. So at that point we decided to do a teaser in a kind of trailer for the movie just to be like, this is totally what we're thinking of doing. And that was when I was like, I want to direct this. Mm-hmm. Like, the teaser. The teaser, yeah. In so, Oklahoma. No, we shot it here. Okay. Yeah, so we shot one scene from, we saw, shot the sex scene from the movie and then we shot a trailer, which I highly advise against. <laughs> it was awful. Why not? Why didn't, why didn't you like a trailer? Because you're shooting something, you don't know, like, you don't know the movie yet. Right. Like, you haven't, and you don't, and also trailer editing is such a different beast than film. And Right. Um, By the way, Eric Krapow, who edits our podcasts, has a company that edits trailers. Oh, nice. Flashpoint.io. You guys should check it out. Nice. Yeah. It's We're legally I'm obligated to plug it three times an episode. Yeah, yeah we nice. want to keep our new tabs. <laughs> Yeah, it's I have such a newfound respect for trailer editing after go, going through that process. But yeah, so we we scripted this trailer and shot all the pieces. And I don't think I'm allowed on Airbnb anymore because we <laughs> used an Airbnb house. And the woman wrote all these. She was like, these people filmed here because we were just like, no, we're just yeah, right. the vacation. <laughs> so I, I like had to create like a new account with a different email. Yeah, so we shot that. The trailer didn't work at all. Like mm-hmm. we ended up having to reshoot pieces to actually make it feel like a trailer. And then this, but the scene worked and it tonally was very much kind of what I I thought the film should be. So we, we used those as part of our Indiegogo campaign and we did months and months of prep for this thing. Our goal was to raise, I think I want to say it was 150,000 was like what we were like, let's just go for it. Let's Mm -hmm. see the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, and on Indiegogo, you get to keep whatever money you raised, even yeah, if you don't Yeah, so what we actually goal. ended up doing was partnering up with Fractured Atlas in New York, which is essentially a like, nonprofit umbrella. Mm-hmm. So you get nonprofit status. So all of the donations to Indiegogo were tax deductible for people. It's a little bit, there's a weird line because it was, it was very much an art project. We were never going to see our money back. So we were like, eh, it's fine. Yeah, at It'll, least people get to like... Yeah, they get to be part of yeah. it. And it also kind of opened up to bigger, like some corporations will double, like Apple will like double your donations as if you're an employee, like you can donate money and then they'll, oh, right. and they'll Fractured match. Atlas is like on their list of approved charities or whatever. Oh, interesting. So we did the Indiegogo campaign. We did it for 60 days. We ended up raising 120000 through that. And then, and, th- and this is this friends and family, or is this? It was like- yeah, it was friends and family. It was a couple of different bigger, like Norman Lear actually ended up donating a good amount. He's one of our executive producers, and there was a couple like bigger donations, mm-hmm. but there were also it was a lot of smaller. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was awesome. And we're did like, you hit Whoa. any other outside of like? So then we did. Uh, we had the tax incentive. So Oklahoma has a thirty-five percent. 
cash rebate. So at the end, you turn in your audit and they write you a check. So we had that was our post. Does the movie have to be finished? No, no, it's just you have to have shot there. Mm-hmm. And and like done all of your so you work can pay there. for post basically you can spend all your money and then get that check and yeah so post. I mean it would be different I guess if you were trying to we weren't trying to qualify post because we knew that we were going to edit in L A and like do all our sound and stuff here so once as soon as we were done shooting we we're like well we're not spending any more money here we're not going to do mu-. they give another percentage for music but we didn't we knew we weren't going to even spend enough right. to qualify for that so. Yeah, we submitted it and we got a check like, I think, three months or something after, which was kind of in the middle of our post process. Like we had enough to start. And then like myself and the other producer also put money into it. I mean, it was like. Right. Which, I mean, I'm sure all our listeners know this, but if it's your first movie and it's an indie film, like. You're going to don't expect to get paid. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I paid to do that. I've like balanced out now. I, or almost, I think I'm like between doing that film and then getting actually getting paid for the second one. I'm like, I broke even. Yeah. Like, cool. <laughs> Making <laughs> steps in the world. Yeah. It's like uh, you're in the black. Yeah. Or I'm in the, what is zero? Z- yeah, neutral, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm not black. I'm not red. Yeah. You're like. Is zero like, black? Like a well, low I know red. they call <laughs> Black Friday, Black Friday, because it's like all these retailers are losing money all year long until. Until they get Until Black money. Friday. And that's when they're finally profitable. Yeah. yeah. Or finally cross back and get that that zero line. Okay, so you raised the rest of the money and then you were like, hey, I did this Waited my awesome sex scene. Well, yeah, yeah, then we waited. Well, by that, so that point, like once we decided to do Indiegogo, I was locked in as the director and Belinda was going to lead because we were like, we're doing all the work. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I mean, but then we had to wait for, why did we have to wait? I think it was just weather and and like the tax, like we had given the window that we were going to shoot there. So then we were, had all our money in December and then we just had to like sit there for January, February, March, April, May. So we went and made a short in January because why not? It was like practice. It, we use the same DP and everything. So mm-hmm. it was like, let's get the team together and try this out. So that mm-hmm. was fun. What did you learn from the short that you decided to apply to the feature? I mean, I think some, I think I started to sort of develop my process with like shot listing and how in the preparation that I needed to do. And I think now between the first and second feature, I kind of have what works for me anyway locked in. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So I, I mean, I shot list everything. So I, and I, I basically, I kind of come at it from two angles. Like for me, there's the acting side of it and then there's the, the camera side and obviously hopefully they help each other, but I have like a breakdown sheet that I do that's sort of emotionally tracks the characters in every scene because you're completely shooting out of order. So I'll do like a scale or some sort of, we actually developed that method on Heartland. I, I went and took some classes just to like refresh. Cause that was the thing I was most scared of was like, Oh God, I, even though I acted, I'm like, I haven't done it in so long. And I don't know. I don't want to, I want to be able to communicate with them and not have them be like, what is she talking about? So I went and took some classes at Beverly Hills Playhouse as a director and I, I like did a couple scenes, but it was mostly just kind of remembering the language and they have something, a technique there where they, it's called covering. And so you're basically, this is, this is what you're feeling and acting, but then the degree to which you cover it says a lot about what the care, where the character is at. By covering, you mean like hiding it? Uh, Kind of like how deep is your subtext basically? Like how much, how, cause there's almost like the two layers of, okay, this is what I'm actually feeling and going through in this moment. And this is what I want to show the person that I'm in the scene 
with not the, the scene, but this in this right. experience with. So can you, you give can an be example? seething underneath, but you want to like act happy because something just happened to them or whatever it is. So the degrees to which you cover that and all of that's like impacted by the other circumstances and what's going on. And so we kind of created this scale for Heartland that I, I sat down with the lead actress and we went through every single scene together before where it was like a one over five or Mm -hmm. three over five. And so we knew like kind of how much the cover was and sort of how emotional she was underneath that building up to like the climax and then, you know, just scaling it all so that we were both on the same page so that she didn't have to worry about it. I could kind of track it and that hopefully would all work out in the end. And it wasn't like too technical. You weren't like, you're a three out of five over five. It actually made it easier because Mm -hmm. it was, it's such a shorthand where, and I actually had the same, I had another scale with the DP because we, in that we started all sticks and still and and then the film turned into handheld towards the climax of it and then it was like super handheld towards the end where it was almost actually the last scene was this huge fight scene and it was well it was like almost pov so Mm -hmm. we shot the whole scene from every character's perspective all the way it was like an eight minute scene so when you are watching it you like feel like you're in the middle of the fight because you're kind of all these people are like almost looking at you like their eyelines scarily close to spiking the lens but So we had this scale with the DP too, where it's like, okay, this scene's a three, which means, you know, it's like handheld, but not yeah. like super shaky. And this is a five and this is a one. And so I had this scales with both of them. So it was very easy to just say, look, I, I it's kind of feeling like you're this over this, but like, I think we need to bring it up to this number or whatever. And we kind of, it was only five numbers, so it's not that big of a range, but yeah, it, it was just an easy check-in system and I never like the film I just did I didn't tell the actors that Mm because they I mean they didn't know that like system that I had but I had it for all of the characters so I could kind of be like hey that that was really great but I think you need to just like kind of cover it a little bit more and they all kind of know what that Mm -hmm. means so yeah uh, I, I love the idea of just having like something that you can look at at a glance like oh where am I supposed to be yeah. like okay a one I got it yeah. so you I know? have this like huge binder yeah. that's every single scene it's this like breakdown the actor and then also the shot list and I do like overhead diagrams mm-hmm. for the scene which doesn't always work out like you know you get in there and you're like oh yeah. the camera doesn't fit here or what you know but because I there is a plan it's easier to adjust because right. you kind of know you at that point, you know what the core purpose of the scene is mm-hmm. and what the story point is that you need to get across. Yeah. So. so even if you have to improvise everything like, you can still, yeah, yeah. Here's a stupid question for you guys. I, I've wanted to do overheads more recently. Mm-hmm. What do you use any sort of software? I use do you? Okay. Yeah. So I, I actually use there's this program called Shot Designer. Yeah. Which is really cool. And yeah, it's super, super cool. fancy and you can like make the people move. And every time it'll be like, oh, the night before. And I'm like, I don't no. have time for that. That's when yeah. Daniel yeah. showed us, right? On the iPad. Hmm. Maybe. It's it's really awesome. Like if you I, I honestly I think it's because I don't know the program well enough. So I used it. I actually used it on the short and it prints the shot list out for you. Mm-hmm. Like you you enter all your and each person's like a different color and they have yeah. little markers on them and you can program them to like move over here and the camera moves over here and it's all really cool, but it takes so long. Yeah. I'm like, I should just draw I this de- instead. I defaulted yeah. to draw yeah. it. Like yeah. I'll, or sometimes, sometimes you're I'll like, just... it's just a medium shot of the same thing we just shot. <laughs> well, and that's like <laughs> yeah. you did, you did a ton of like actual storyboards 
oh. for Miss yeah. 2059. Like, you'll actually draw it out. My brain doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Like, I can see the shot in my head, but so many times we'll, like, put the camera there, and I'm like, that's not the lens that's in my brain. Right. <laughs> Why doesn't yeah. it match? And so storyboarding's like that. Like, I, it's really hard for me to translate a drawing from that angle. It's easier for me yeah. to do overhead, and then I can see in my mind, like, like what I'm oh, seeing. Oh, I want to scoot this up or not. Yeah, I'm ready for, like, a 3D shot lister, basically. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm ready to be able to change lenses and do overheads yeah. and then just have, like, I you know, Shot designer, crappy, I feel like... Does, they're close right yeah and and i there's another program i have it's on my phone i have to look at it but it's that one's actually cool because you can take photos in the location oh um, artemis maybe is that what you're maybe. thinking maybe yeah maybe it, and you choose lenses yeah, and you like, choose lenses and it's like you a, choose the camera mm-hmm. then you yeah, choose the lenses artemis. and yeah. then you can take your, your yeah. pictures and then you can like stitch them all together kind of into a yeah scene. and you can put people in oh can picture. you do that i didn't realize yeah, you that. can like take a this is going to be the background of the scene and then you can put fake. Oh, nice. I don't know if it's the same program though. I have to look. Yeah. We'll double check. Yeah. But um, did it cost like 30 bucks? Yeah. Yeah. It's probably Artemis. Yeah. I, yeah, I do something different on every single project. Do you? Yeah. But I've done stuff in cinema 4d. I've kind of played around with shots. Yeah. I've just done overheads. I, I find that 90% of the time, no one other than me looks at any of the stuff I make, but obviously it's mainly just so you, have thought about it, yeah. right? Well, yeah, well, and like the deep. I mean, I feel like the DP, like he had. We printed them out, and like the AD and DP had them. Yeah. So everybody was at least sort of on the same page, and like the gaffer could be like, "Oh, we're looking over here next," because I would like order them too, and be mm-hmm. like, "This is the order we're going to shoot them in." So everybody kind of knew what was coming up. Yeah, it's and it's good because uh, also if you have an overheads, then you can kind of tell like what setup is what. It's a. I feel like it's the best way to communicate with your AD. Like, yeah. I'm never worried about like undercovering something or like fixing something on the fly, but like communicating to my team and accurately figuring out how long things are going to take. Mm-hmm. I feel like overheads are the the key. Totally. Right? It's also really good to realize that you're you are overcovering something. Right. Where you're yeah. you're like these are kind of similar. Like I'm not going to use these in the edit, so right. I can cut this shot and this will and we'll maybe we'll push in on this or move the camera yeah. here for this section of the scene or whatever, but you don't need to, right. to cover the whole scene in that. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I like overheads. They're just, sometimes they're hard. And the worst is when you haven't seen a location that you're going to shoot. Yeah. In. But um, I paintbrush, man, simple. <laughs> yeah. I like yeah. That. I don't know. When I do like thumbnail sketches, it's never, I'm really bad at like perspective. So I, it's, it's only to show like this is who we're going to see and what we're going to see mm-hmm. and they'll fit in this frame and I'll guess it like the lens. But I know that on set like that, that stuff is often not a reality, but the the more I shoot, the better I get at kind of guessing what we'll be able to fit in that frame. Yeah. It's a, it's a game now where I'm like, Oh, what? Like, I'm just like, I think it's going to be this size lens. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you, Made your feature. Yeah. Heartland. Yes. Starring. Laura Spencer, Beth Grant, and Felinda Godfrey. Okay. Laura Spencer is from Big Bang Theory. She's on Big Bang and Bones. Yeah. Cool. She's awesome. And Beth is in like Rain Man. Like she's been around. She's she's in No Country for Old Men. She's this awesome character actor that you. Oh, wow. You'll be like, oh, you'll yeah. Be like, oh yeah, that yeah. person. I've seen her in 25 movies. Cool. She's and, great. And so. You made the movie, where did it premiere? Premiered at Cinequest, actually during Miss 2059. Oh, right, right. Yeah, the last Sunday of shooting, I left to go premiere the film. And So the showrunners, I think I might have even talked about this 
on the podcast yeah, I because maybe did. I had a baby and a death in the family and the producer and the showrunners all left. Yeah. Is Cinequest still at Vegas? No, it's no, in, no. Uh, in like San kind Jose. of Napa, Napa oh, Valley-ish. Okay. Yeah. It, it isn't was, it uh, the San Jose. San Jose Film Festival? What's that? It's the San Jose Film Festival is Cinequest. Yeah. So yeah, we premiered there. We won the audience award, which was really cool. Hey, congrats. Yeah, yeah. it was fun. And then we, I mean, we've been playing since then. We're still doing festivals. Did and you do the Heartland Film Festival? No, we didn't. Uh, I know, right? Come on. Yeah. Should have been a shoe in Oh, I am so excited that you are home to stay. Oh, and your brother's coming home in a couple of days, bringing Carrie with it. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, Justin told me about Nicole. I'm so sorry. She was a real good friend. What's going on? Fort Worth. Gotta go tonight. When do you get back? Two days. No, we we kind of did like a big. We were going to a lot of them at first. Like we went to Oklahoma and to Toronto and San Jose, obviously, and and then you get really tired. And you're yeah, like, it's like super even. fun, but also like it's super diminishing. You know? I'm kind of we we got into. I don't actually know if I'm. I don't. When does this come out? I first was to announce like it, but weeks. we got a th- into a festival in London, and I think it'll probably be like the last festival that we play at, and they will like fly you there. So I'm like, I should probably go to London. Yeah, go to so London cool. if they if they fly you there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the language is a little tough, but you yeah, know, it's really Google difficult to understand. Just don't drink the water. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we actually, so as of, well, as of this week, we're like hopefully signing papers tomorrow, sold the movie. Oh, hey. Yeah. To it's Wolf Video and Domestically, and then this company Breakthrough out of Canada for International. So it's been kind of like an, on. we had, we got a sales agent like March of last year, or maybe even later, May, and they've been kind of, you know, shopping it around. So that's exciting. Hopefully it comes out into the world this year. So I'm like, oh, congrats. Yeah, wait, is the goal theatrical? Or are you guys thinking VOD? What's uh, the- I, I mean, obviously I kind of started. I was like, it'd be really cool to have theatrical run in like select cities because mm-hmm. it's actually a really fun movie to watch in theaters. It's a really different experience. And there's humor in it that you don't really get. You shot on IMAX, right? What's that? You shot on IMAX? Yeah. Full, full it looks so good cinemascope. on your phone, It's though. amazing. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, no, so it's it's just a different experience when you're watching it with a big mm-hmm. audience. And um, so I wanted to do it in cities that I knew would, would kind of enjoy mm-hmm. the film. But it's really expensive to do yeah. theatrical runs. And we've been doing the festival thing for a while, and it's played in a lot of cities. Right. So I think at this point, I get probably at least like an email a day from somebody in some country being like, when is this movie coming out? So I feel like SVOD is probably the best way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. The best way to get it to all of those people. I feel like that's a really common sentiment from like filmmakers in your position, right? Where we're like generationally, we're like, is it a real movie if it's not playing in theaters, but also financially, it's definitely the smarter way to just window it immediately on SVOD. Yeah, you make and more this, money and it, more people see it. Yeah, more people true. see it. Most and people will see it ultimately probably on the Pirate Bay. Yeah, <laughs> true, true. Where everything we're for I've sure going to be on, what is the, the thing that has the sex scenes on oh, the Mr. website? Skin? Yeah, oh, Mr. Skin. We're for yeah. sure going to oh, cool. end up yeah. on a yeah. scene on that. Maybe I'll watch it there. It's like, yeah. 
Um, I don't know if the whole, I think just the sex scene, probably not sure. the whole movie. But. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice <laughs> yeah, if you, yeah, you got a view? They're like, time. we really like the sex scene, yeah. so we're going to put the yeah. whole movie on here. Yeah, some really funny dialogue, though. Really thoughtful. Yeah. <laughs> so a trick I learned with my movie when we were doing the festival circuit is if you don't go to a festival, you can ask them, especially if it's one where they'll fly you out, you can ask them for a screening fee. Yeah. Like 500 bucks or something. Yeah. Oh, so we ended up making, I don't know, probably... A like, thousand bucks, yeah. No, like probably closer to like fifty thousand dollars. Really? Wow. Fees. Our movie was like very specific for like yeah. a deaf audience, so everyone has like a deaf awareness week, like every mm-hmm. school and company oh, wow. and everything. And we would just be like, "Sure, you can screen. It's a thousand dollars." And then if they'd say no, we'd be like, "Great, seven hundred fifty dollars." Yeah, <laughs> five hundred. It's one hundred dollars. And yeah. then okay, fine. Here's the link. <laughs> we um, yeah we've done that 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 was kind of because it you know it's an lgbt film so we right. had kind of a second run at all at pretty much every city has an lgbt film festival so right. that was kind of what we did i love the one in iran it's like <laughs> a little painful with the stones but um anyway so okay so then how'd you convert that into like, I feel like it's, we talked about this last episode, so easy to be a first-time filmmaker. It's yeah. so hard to be a second-time And then you never filmmaker. make a film again. Yeah. yeah. It's, which I was pretty sure was what would happen or that I would have to like write or get something written and, and do this all over again. Like that was sort of at the end of this, once mm-hmm. it was actually finished and we went to the premiere, it's like, am I actually thinking about doing this again? Like this was sure. three years of my life yeah. that, I, you know this is how long it's going to take every time. This is insane. Right. But if you can cut out that fundraising time. Yeah. I mean, that like was, that was, months to a year yeah, back there was like a life. year of development and table reads and all that stuff. And then a year of fundraising and like from actual making it to, or actually honestly from raising the money to finishing the film mm-hmm. was a year. Yeah. Oh, that's that not bad. Enough. No. And so, so did you try to get like an agent manager or anything based off the, I, fifth, I kind like of festival run? figured I, I, from general feedback from people and also just, I, I mean, I don't, I reached out to like a couple people, but until the film does anything and is like out in the world, it's not, you're like, yeah, this film, it won some awards and went to a bunch of festivals. Like nobody cares. So that was, I was going to kind of wait until it was out. And while I was waiting for that, I was contacted by this company that's like a subsidiary of Hallmark and I'm part of a group called Film Fatals, which is awesome if there's any female directors listening. Yes, we've talked about it yeah. before on the podcast. Yeah, they're great. So I, I joined that after finishing the first feature. It's just, you know, it's a cool group and it's good resources and good good people. So they, I guess, had given a list of people to this company. Oh, cool. And so they were kind of going down the list. And I think it was sort of, I, one, I was on the wrong list because I was <laughs> DGA and I was on the non-union list. And then Wait, did you, you join DGA for I, I had actually joined as a production manager. Oh, right. And then I they like force you they're like, You're in the union, so now you have to be a director. It's like I don't want to be a DGA director. Like <laughs> yeah. I'm doing one movie yeah, for right. hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Give me a break, you guys. Yeah, yeah. it was yeah, it was That's rough. That's another yeah. story. Yeah. But yeah, so they um I was on the wrong list and then my movie is called Heartland. And I think the producer thought it was Heartland, the Canadian TV show. And mm-hmm. so they were like, I called them. I was like, oh, yeah, cool. Like, I'd love to read the script. And, you know, do you want me to send me send you a link to my feature? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. No, the TV show, right? It's like, no, no, it's a movie called yeah. Heartland. 
And I'll then, send it to you right now. Were they like, well, we're still on the phone, so... I mean, I think I, at that point, like, we had a trailer. We had yeah. the feature. I think they... And it actually, ironically, was really kind of similar to oh, the perfect. movie they were making. So I think it actually worked out better. <laughs> hey, look at that. But it was it was a series of accidents that, that, that is got incredible. me this job. <laughs> we hear a lot of good break-in stories. Yeah. That one's the best. Yeah, it's That's a mistake. So <laughs> I'm here by mistake. So. But you, these are just like your theories. No, right? I'm pretty sure that's, I mean, that was like my inner, I went in and like interviewed with them, obviously, but it, but I was like, how did like, you, you find best? me? And, and they're like, well, film fatals. And, and then like, we had this conversation that I was in the union. He's like, oh, you're in, you're in the DGA. I was like, yeah. But I, I mean, I had been thinking about switching to financial core, which kind mm-hmm. of allows you to do both anyway. So I was like, oh, I mean, this is a good reason to switch. And then the mistake with with him being like, oh, Heartland, the TV show. So I kind of put all the pieces together and concluded that it was completely a mistake. But I had a good interview with them. Like right. I met, So I met with them for a couple of hours and that went well. Yeah. I mean, it just got you in the door and then. Yeah, yeah very much. That was, yeah, that was my like friend helping me yeah. in the door. Yeah. You still <laughs> have to seal the, the deal, universe. right? Yeah. So good. So yeah. So then, yeah, then we developed the script for a really long time. We were supposed to actually shoot. I, I went into interview in August. I was going back east. I ended up interviewing like three people over the phone because I was back home. And Wait, then, so what's like the the interview is like getting to know you? It was yeah. Or? It was with the one of the producers in the EP, and it was sort of a like, what do you think of the story? Like, how do, how do you imagine telling it? What's your style? What you know? Is there anything you said in those first few interviews where you like plussed the script or like kind of changed something that you think is what it was you the job? I think I think I kind of went in. In, with a like, I have nothing to lose attitude because this was all a mistake and I shouldn't be here to begin with. So I just said what I thought. You're like, I hate this. The end should be in the beginning. Well, I did. Ha- I had critiques of the script. Like there were definitely things wrong with it where I was like, this is what I see it could be, but it's not that right now. And these are like the things I think once I, I think just with my experience, I got in the door and realized there was actually a lot more that needed to be fixed than what I had initially thought. Mm-hmm. And that's just because I'm I'm like not a writer. I kind of come at it from a different angle. So once we got into it, I was like, oh, <laughs> this is more work than I thought it was going to be. And um, then did you know the budget like from the beginning? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's like 500,000 or something. It's made for TV. Yeah, it was well, it was actually initially, I think, made for their they have an SVOD service for this company, but it's all they've like completely restructured everything while we were shooting and and posting the movie. So I have no idea where I don't know if it's going to be on the Hallmark channel. I don't know if they're going to sell it to something else. I know Mar Vista has international rights. That's all I know. Hmm, so right. and that's how they raise the money. Yeah, right? that's part of it. Yeah. So yeah did I think they did Mar Vista kind of had to approve your cast and everything. Yeah. They're the leads. They did. And who are the leads? Uh, Courtney Ford. And she's married to Superman, right? Yeah. She's great. I had seen, I had, I mean, I watched Dexter and I had watched True True Blood and she's in Parenthood. She has like a great season arc on Parenthood, which I watched in like two weeks. That show is like every episode you're just like crying. (laughs) Yeah. But she always was kind of, she, in True Blood and a lot of the shows, she got cast as sort of this like sexy villain Mm -hmm. type character, except for in Parenthood where she was more like a little bit more complex and you were like, Oh, she's actually really good at that. Like she should do that more, but you could tell she wasn't really getting those opportunities. And she was sort of getting typecast as these season, our characters Mm -hmm. that were evil in the end. 
Um, so this was an opportunity for her to kind of like show her yeah, side of her. Yeah. yeah. So it was like, this might be actually interesting to her. And someone like that, does she audition or do you? She didn't her know role? hers was offer only. Uh, everybody else in the film did audition though. We had a pretty lengthy and we, we were going, we had offer only out to the male lead and the guy that ended up playing the male lead actually came in for the role that David played. David is a friend of mine. Yeah. Which I, I want to talk about this in a second, but yeah, can you finish your thought? So he so he, he came in for the other role. He came in for not the lead guy, but the like other point to the love triangle. Mm-hmm. And this guy was like so charming. Like he was like one of those people that walks into the room and you're like watch, watching like, him oh, like spit out his yeah. gum and you're like, oh my God, like what is he doing? Like what flavors? Yeah. <laughs> and everybody starts blushing. Like even the guys in the room are just like, I want to be him. Like this guy is so cool. And he was great. He nailed the audition. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. As we kept bringing people in, everybody we were bringing in for the love role, I was like, no one's going to want her to end up with this guy. Like, they're going to want right. to if end up with that dreamy. guy. He's too dreamy, yes. That's funny. So, <laughs> so I was like, well, what if we make that guy the lead? And like he had and then a, Oren's yeah. friend can be the dud. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then we have to find someone sorry, that you, lo- that you <laughs> no, love and like kind of, because it should be conflicting. You yeah, want totally. you want them to be like, oh, yeah. I, I get why she should be the, this guy, but... So yeah, so we ended up doing that, which took some convincing because he had like no real resume and Marvis. So it was like, oh, who's this guy? I was like, you ha- just please watch his tapes. Like you'll get just it. Shake his just hand. See it. <laughs> just uh, look into those dreamy so eyes. So he he came back again to read for the other role, and I think he even came back like a, he that poor guy auditioned so many times. I'm like, I'm really sorry. I promise, we're giving you one of these roles. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what it is yet. What's that? Did you say that to him? I, I think we actually did at some point because I was because we were like had asked yeah. him to come back so many People times. People get cranky at a certain. You were point, like, right? even the agents are like protective. They're like, yeah. is this right. like, are you just wasting my guys' time? So yeah, we were like, no, no, no. We for real, we're giving you one of these roles, but it ended up kind of coming down to like there wasn't anyone that was more charming than him, and so you were like, mm-hmm. okay, but it worked out. He's I didn't audition. That's how I get all my jobs, you guys. But that that was hard too because you were doing like love. Right. And they had never met before. Right. I was chemistry. just like, oh, they're going to get along. <laughs> like, we didn't do a chemistry read. We didn't. Really? Yeah. When I did that. a TV movie, the casting was so weird because, like, the producers were literally just sitting on IMDb. Really? Looking at their IMDb meter. <laughs> like, mm-hmm, 1,500 That's, or whatever. I- yeah, that. that's like, like how they cast. They were like, they have to be above this number. Yeah, which changes every day. Yeah, so they're like, which by that you can average. pay a service to like yeah. pump your number up. Yeah. It's too, like so that. gameable. Yeah, that that is the least reliable metric, I think. And I don't blame people for wanting to look at a number. Like if if you yeah. know you want to quantify people's star power in some way, like I get it. Star meter is, I guess maybe people don't know, but like on IMDb Pro. When you look at an actor or anyone, they all have this ranking of, that they call the star meter, and it's like relatively arbitrary. Like it's it's certainly it's completely opaque. Like you don't know what's determining what. You know, you can tell like oh, when someone's really hot, their star meter goes up or whatever. But it's based on views of their profile, I suppose. I I think that's what it's on because I feel like it spikes when somebody's on an episode of a TV show right, that just aired and it's whatever, like someone yeah. you're like, who is this? I've never heard of this person. And they're on this show that came out and had a great review last week. Yeah. Right. But it does not equate to box office but no, or any, anything. No. It's not and really it's like they take an average, like they were looking, they, they're like, you have to look back six months. Cause it can't just be like, Oh, this, cause you could go in and be like, look, see, they're really high right now. Yeah. Cause you like spent your whole night clicking right. on them. But 
That uh, does not work, by the way. I've tried it before. Oh, really? Yeah, did you I think d- it has to be unique IP addresses. So did you oh. find like an IP spoofer? Yeah. <laughs> no, I used to, back in the days when I used to like hack YouTube and stuff, yeah. I would just like load up like 100 pages that would refresh, you know, with like scripts. Sure. View jacking, they used to call yeah. it. Yeah, now it doesn't really work anymore. But so I did kind of the same thing on and my IMDb profile for like two solid days. Refreshed it every like five seconds. And then what sucks, you have to wait because they only update the numbers like once a week. Uh, (laughs) Did it work? No, it didn't. Unless those numbers are like astronomical. The the easiest way to get your IMDb number up really high, like for your movie, for instance, is to put the torrent of your movie on like the pirate bay. Right. Because there will be a link to your IMDb entry. People want to know about the movie. Yeah. And there's like tens of millions of people that go to the pirate bay like every week. And so interesting. Yeah. And they were like, what new movies are out? And there's people that just yeah. like spend all day yeah, downloading so distribute your movie, movie illegally on yeah. Pirate Bay. And then, yeah, if you don't want to make your money back, yeah. then I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if it only helps, you yeah. know, like I'm, I'm sure like people, if who it subscribe. helps, it would definitely help your IMDb star meter, which in turn can help your career. Yeah. I think time. it's probably going to help the legit numbers as well. Yeah. I just got an Uber ride the other day. Okay, I'll admit it was Lyft, but <laughs> my driver Traitor. had seen had seen my movie because his like wrestling coach like told him to watch it. Oh, that's cool. Um, oh, that's awesome. And I'm sure he watched it illegally. Um, <laughs> well, but, it's uh, kind of hard to watch it any yeah, other way. I think right? he said that you no. Well, it's on Hulu now. But oh, that's good. He might have watched it on that then. No, he t- he said he saw it, found a copy on YouTube, like the whole movie. <laughs> oh. Did you yeah. go home and look it up? No, it's for like, yeah, you know, when your pages open refreshing. Right we now. spent like a month trying to get it off all the torrent sites and you get it off one and then it springs up yeah. on like 10 other ones. And yeah, it sucks, but it's just kind yeah, of part of the it. landscape. Yeah. So my real quick question about Dave. So my friend Dave sends me a text. He's like, hey, I'm going in for an audition tomorrow, like last minute audition for a movie that shoots like next week. And the director is the person that produced your show can you like put in a good word for me? And I, I think or I, he might have not even said put in. He just said that. And I, I guess I'm curious what you guys think about this, like putting in a good word, if that's effective at all. Because I was like, I'm always like, sure, I'll mention mm-hmm. to someone that you're my friend, so they know you're not like a total creep. But that's all it's going to get you. It's not going to get you the job unless you perform. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're a right match. Yeah. Do you think does it so since you're actually here, I can say like yeah. did it make any difference that I told you like, hey, I know this this guy is a friend of mine and I've worked with him before and he's not a weirdo. Um even though he is like a slight weirdo. <laughs> but, but he's listening? good. <laughs> yeah, but I love um, him. He's he's great. No, he's awesome. I I'm trying to think if I it's hard to erase that information from my mind. So I don't really know what I would have done had I not known that. Because I think you text me like the probably the day of or day before he came in to, to yeah. read. And, I mean, um, he did get it, right? He did get the role, yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't will even know s- he got it for like weeks yeah. later. <laughs> but I, I will say his first read was like completely off the mark. Like he came in <laughs> and he was like, and I, I mean, it was totally, you could interpret the scene that way, but it was like a, the guy was getting broken up with. So he, he did it so angry, like so really aggressive. And I, maybe there was a world in which I would have been like, oh, this guy's just not a good actor. Like, let's move on. But I, but I was like, but there are also things in it that were good. So I don't, but I was right. like, Hey, let's do it one more time. Mm-hmm. Not like lose all the anger and and venom that you just spit out and he it was great his next read was like spot on yeah so 
was that your your I'll, I'll like, take it. responsibility? I'll take Maybe I don't it. know. Yeah, I mean, I guess it is like you do want to like people that are vouched for. Yeah, like you, when they come in, you want to give them a chance to impress you. Yeah, Whereas it's so great when they're someone, good though, because yeah. then you're like, oh, okay, cool. Like I don't have to pretend. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Um, I get. I mean, when I'm casting stuff, when you're casting stuff, you know, we're always getting notes like, oh, I know that person, or I know this, or like, hey, yeah. we work together on this other thing. I mean, Karen just had like two callbacks with a commercial director that did not cast her for a different commercial, but he liked her so much. Yeah. He keeps calling her back and keeps not casting her. It's like, you know, that, that's just how it well, goes. But that's also, there's probably four other people making yeah. that casting decision. Yeah. Like it's not up to him. I, I always say like, if you're getting called back regularly, that means they like you yeah. and it's You're just, good. Yeah. Yeah. You just can't help whether or not like. You have brown yeah. hair. Her agent, exactly. her commercial acting agent does not care. They, they count how many callbacks you have out of how many auditions you want to as like the metric of how you're performing. I think like that's booking really smart. is not yeah. at nearly as important as callbacks. As callbacks. Yeah. That makes sense. I, I always, I mean, now I tell all of my actor friends because I'm like, I don't, one, I have no idea how you do this because none, there are so many things counting against you. I mean, everybody, when you walk into the room wants you to do well, but it really is like you look like someone I hate. And so I just, I don't really like that person. I don't know why they're, they're a good actor, but I don't want yeah. to like, there's so many arbitrary things that right. go into it and so many opinions. I did this commercial a few months ago. I think I talked about it where the woman that auditioned was doing an American accent. And I was like, are you British? And she said, uh, yeah, but I can do an American accent. I was like, yeah, no, that was great. But let's just do one take with your British accent. And she got cast with her British, with accent. her British accent. Yeah. yeah. Just, Totally. Yeah, you're so opposite. mad about it. I was really upset about it because they wanted like a, a, a typical Midwestern housewife. Wait, they were upset about it or you I were? was. Because, you know, I was trying to get Kara yeah. the, the role. <laughs> she did a, a perfect read, but yeah. then they gave it to this like British lady. Yeah. Which, well, that was, we cha- like that one character too, the producer's wife actually came and she was great. But then we we actually rewrote the role and it was just such a different character that I was like all these, there were two people that were really good and I was like, I'd love to cast them. And one of them had come in, like they had, uh, they had actually cast the entire movie before I even started. They mm. had another director and like started all over again. Mm. It was like, yeah, you would have been great if it was this, but now it's this. And that happened like with a couple of the characters. So you feel bad because you, you want to call the actor and be like, dude, you're really good. And you would have gotten the role, but we completely changed it. Yeah. I've fantasized about doing that probably like 50 times and yeah. I've actually done it like once or twice. Did you right. just do it when you saw the person again or something? No, or? like I think a couple times I've emailed someone and said, hey, just so you know, everyone loved you, but we changed the role. And one time I've seen someone in public. The reason I kind of stopped doing that is because I realized it does not make them, it makes them more yeah, angry. It's maybe really? a little worse. Yeah. 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 Because they're like, oh, because I'm not, because I'm a white guy. Like I didn't get the role. And yeah. Like, no, that's. We changed the character. It's like a different thing now. I think yeah. any any extra information just kind of is more. It's like fodder to dwell on. The, yeah. yeah, like if if the answer is no and they just don't hear back, they just they're already forgetting about it. Whereas if you call them up and be like, "Hey, you really wanted this thing. Let me tell you how close you were." Yeah, <laughs> right. no, that's fair. I mean, I f- yeah, because I feel like most professional actors they leave the audition, they forget about it, and yeah. like even when you call them, they're like, "Oh, I totally forgot I auditioned for that thing. Yeah. Cool, I got the." You role. have to right, yeah. like if you're thinking no, about 100%. every audition. But maybe the positive thing is to if you see them in at a restaurant or something, say like, "Hey, you know, by the way, I really liked your read, and you're a great actor, and I'm hope hopefully I can call you in for something yeah. in the yeah. future." 
And then you work as a valet and you park their car. But then you feel bad and you call them in for something and then you don't cast them for that again. It's like, oh, Oh, sorry. My, uh, have I talked about this? Uh, My barista at like the coffee shop, literally 15 seconds from my apartment. I wanted to cast and we couldn't cast for those Time Warner cable spots. Oh, yeah. And we've not talked about it. But we did talk about how he was my barista in the audition. I was like, you work at this place. And he was like, yeah. And we talked. And it was great. And he did a great audition. He was super funny. And we just went with someone else. And but I, now you see I him see every him day. all the time. <laughs> it's yeah. the worst. Yeah. Maybe I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to talk to him. Talk this to is my him. resolution. Yeah. Just say, hey, I was t- on my podcast yesterday and we we're talking about good, great actors that we ended up not casting. And I was thinking about you and hope it's yeah. not awkward and you should come in again. It's yeah. worse. By the way, my coffee's a little cold. Yeah. <laughs> um, can I? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's worse, though. Like, was he good in it? At least? Yeah, he was good. So that's good. Yeah, the, that, really then good. that's super awkward, especially yeah. if you like know the person and they were terrible because then you're like, ah. I'd, st- I'd just lie for sure. Really? Oh, yeah. 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 I lie all the time. I'm a terrible liar, so. I actually had a like friend. Like, I'll say it, but I don't think anyone believes me. <laughs> I had a friend of a friend come in to audition for something, and they weren't really good. And then they emailed me afterwards when they didn't get it. And they were like, hey, can you give me some feedback? Uh, and I never wrote them back. <laughs> that's so I mean. know. I was just uh, like, I was trying to come up in my, like, I was wanting to be pretty rough. super yeah. helpful. But it was going to be like. Stop moving your hands in such a weird way. Like, why are you yeah, like, that's yeah. talking so fast? It's know. hard when it's like physicality because you can't change. I mean, you, I guess there's certain things you can do, but it's like, ah, your voice is just like an octave too high. Yeah. No, I, I mean, know. it's like at be the better. end of the day, it's yeah. like be more confident, you know? Yeah. Which is like hard to say to someone. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing that makes you uncon- like not confident. Yeah. We should wrap this up soon, but I just want to ask real quick, what's your, like, so now you've made two movies. Yeah. What's the next move? Uh, I don't still know agent manager, still no agent manager. So if anyone's listening, right. I had mentioned that I'll send your stuff to my manager yeah. and I never I've did. actually emailed him and I, I don't think he's watched cause I've sent him a link to the first movie. Oh, cause right. I, I mean, I met him right, right, in right. 2059, but, but yeah, so no, I'm, I, I think that is kind of the next step. Cause I do want to get into TV. I feel like, you know, I've done two films now. I'm never going to make a living doing feature films. So you have uh, like a website and like a reel and all yeah, that I have, stuff? Yeah, I have a website. I don't have a reel yet, which I now, because before it was like, we'll just watch the trailer to the movie because right. I've done one thing. Yeah. So, uh, and like the short is, it's not any, like I'd rather people watch the movie. Yeah. I think that you could just send them two trailers now. Yeah. Honestly, you know, yeah. like you don't need to like cut. Like cut a reel. Movie. I've actually been thinking about that because I'm like, what is a director's reel then? It's like a weird, just watch the trailer or watch the movie. Like here's the link to the feature. The more people we talk to, I think the clearer it's become that they're just kind of not really a thing anymore unless yeah. you do like tabletop or like i understand it though for like something. comedy and commercials yeah. and stuff or that if you're a being a thing? no yeah. but commercial reel yeah is you i used to think like oh all the best shots from all my commercials and celebrities and all this stuff and then commercial people are like just send me three commercials back to back right three 30 second commercials yeah, yeah. how hard like, is it to watch a commercial uh, well what if it's a three and a half minute commercial like i'm not gonna then watch it. then they don't watch it <laughs> yeah yeah, that's the other. I mean, getting anyone to watch anything over two minutes is hard. But yeah, so that's that's definitely one of my next steps. And then I'm starting to develop other stuff, more shifting to try to do TV series kind of stuff. My dream, if in like five years, I'm like, oh, I succeeded at doing this thing. I would love to direct a miniseries. That's like my my goal. So And why a miniseries? Because it's like an extra long feature. 
and it has a finite th- I feel like most well TV obviously is such a different thing just creatively as a director you're not really unless you create the show yeah like a tour TV is still kind of emerging really yeah so like doing and I feel like these miniseries you get to you get to develop the story so much more you get to develop the characters so much more you're not confined to an hour and a half you get like six hour and a halves but it's still structurally and and just the way in which they shoot it is very much like a feature and also just like the way that you're involved. I, th- I mean, it, it obviously edges towards TV because usually it's with like an HBO or Netflix or whatever. So there's a studio, whereas with a feature, they're not isn't necessarily anyway with indie. But but yeah, that I don't know why I just I love them and I want to do one. I've like soured on TV ever since we had Eric on last week. Our friend has directed every studio comedy you've yeah. ever heard of, The Dictator. Edit, and, edited. Yeah, edited. Yeah. Role yeah. Models, Cedar Rapids. Like, he did Daddy's Home. Yeah. And yep. then he was trying to direct, and he directed a feature. He directed, like, this award-winning short. He's directed all these commercials. Just couldn't penetrate into the TV world. And so now he's editing Veep. <laughs> oh, like, I'm going to edit, coming yeah. through editing. Like That's actually, like, producing. a real, a lot of people do that. They they edit and then they, like, but it takes so long. It's like two or three seasons into the show. Right. They'll get an opportunity to direct one episode. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it also depends on the number of episodes that yeah. they're doing. Network TV, obviously, has more opportunities. Yeah. I You know, I think it's tricky. But, you know, just I think finding ways to get in with showrunners and things like that. There's still a handful of like tried and true ways to work in. Yeah. I've heard shadowing is like a good, at least to just kind of be on the set and be around just because they're like, especially if a show has been running for a while, it's kind of this like closed group of people that are, they're just rotating through the same. Yeah. I've shadowed once. It was not a good experience. No, (laughs) no, but you know, that does help. The guy that I shadowed told me he's probably had, like a hundred shadows and two of them have gotten episodes. That's yeah. That's and not one a of them. It shadowed him like five times and was like, I don't know. The person I shadowed was like pretty strict, I guess. If you, was, if you met like, like if you've met 50 directors and two of them had lucrative TV careers or sorry, one of them had a lucrative TV career, that would be solid. Th- those numbers aren't so bad to me. Like those are odds that I'm pretty familiar with. Yeah. Do you know I feel I mean? like that's most things, right? right? Like you look yeah. at how many films are submitted to Sundance this year and yeah. you're like, oh my God. Oh my God. No, yeah. You can't, but you can't. I know. The pool of right people off, that are submitting films sure. to Sundance is like every single person that makes a movie pretty much submits yeah, it. Every American filmmaker and most worldwide filmmakers, but, even if it's your first film, is submitting a movie to Sunday. But knowing how hard it is to make a movie, the fact that that many were made is still kind of incredible to me. And how many directors want to do TV right now? Right? Right. Like every director yeah. wants to do TV. But that said, there also I do feel like there are more opportunities too right. with uh, Amazon yeah. and Netflix and Hulu and everyone creating their own stuff. And all these But 90% of these directors that want to do TV are in LA, right? Like you look at yeah. the Sundance pool, it's like all over the world. And then like, if you're a working director, it's natural. You're either like your progression upwards is either commercials, TV or movies or yeah. like studio films. Yeah. Right. If you're going to make a living. And so if you choose the TV track, like one out of 50 successes is not, that's I'll not an industry. Odds, that's not so bad. But, but what do you think? I mean, what do you think the odds yeah, are one for out of 50 a film? Of a, of director, a kid yeah. that wants yeah. to be a director eventually, maybe. I mean, yeah. look, TV that's, that's a that's a class of film school students, right? Like that's one, one director for every USC production class. 
Yeah, I mean, these numbers we're talking about are just like totally yeah. <laughs> contrived. Yeah, yeah, of course, but, but still. It, yeah, I guess. It's like astronauts, though. Yeah. But yeah. It, I mean, I, how many for, people want to be an astronaut and there's not that many of them? I, I just feel like that the, the argument that like the odds are against you, like has always been true and I'm fine with it. Like, just be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Try harder. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think so much of it is a time game, too, to me. Like, if you just... I don't know. Maybe this is less true. And obviously there are, there are things, but most of the people that Hollywood spins as these overnight success stories have been doing it for 20 years. They have made so many things that no one has ever heard of. And then everyone's like, Oh my God, I made this guy. He's an overnight success. And you're like, yeah, but he's done 15 other projects that no one will ever see. So like anytime that I, I'll like get a little bit jealous of someone that I'm like, Oh my God, how did they do this? And then you research them and you're like, oh my God, they've been doing this forever. Like they deserve this. Yeah. I guess I'm just saying it's like, if you set out to be something, a TV, you're already a director. It's not like you're just like spinning a wheel and deciding what career you want. You've like already decided on this. Like you don't want to tell me that in 10 years from now, you haven't directed any TV episodes. You wouldn't be disappointed. Of course. But I guess what I'm saying is that I've made my peace with the idea of just trying my hardest. You know what I mean? Like, of course I would be disappointed, but uh, I'm not that worried about it. Like there have been a lot of people who, you know, wanted to be directors that I came up with that don't do it anymore. Right. So like, you just have to stick it out and like, you know, just be better than everybody. That's the answer. And then get lucky. Right. And the get lucky part is what we're talking about. Right. Like that's the thing you can't control. I'm saying the stick it out. Like I think if you stick it out, you'll eventually your odds are better than one in 50. Oh, for sure. Sure. But but that's because people are going to drop out along the way because they're like, oh, I was expecting to be an overnight success. And my first film tanked. And like, I guess I shouldn't I'm not good at this and I shouldn't do it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I'm dumb enough to to not realize I'm not good at it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the secret. I guess to me, I just kind of see the like clawing my way into TV from where I am now. Just there's just seems to be no clear path to me. The clearest paths for me to get into TV is one to sell a show yeah. to a friend of a good friend of mine to sell a cable show where they would let give them me yeah, give yeah. me an episode, which there's probably on one hand, I can count the number of friends of mine that sure. are in that position that right. like me enough to <laughs> give me an episode or number three to make the movie that every the number that wins the jury prize at Sundance, you know? Yeah, or I mean, honestly, or a web series though. I feel like some of those are getting turned into. Yeah, TV. I think there's like three examples in like yeah. the history of time yeah. of web series. Yeah. yeah. Well, now the I mean, now I feel like they're the same thing. So yeah, but, but that's yeah, but like, it's kind there's of also like, how many million dollar web series were there two years ago? Right, but none of the million dollar web series have turned into TV shows. Sure, but well, they don't even need to. Yeah. Right? But do you consider, I mean, Netflix a TV show or a web series? Yeah, sure. I yeah. consider it a TV show. I mean... The budgets are for sure. I consider it a TV show if someone's heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, like, you know, every web series that got turned into a TV show was a TV show before it got turned into a TV show. Right? Like, the reason High Maintenance or, like... Always Sunny. Always Sunny or Broad well, City. Always Sunny was not a web show. I guess it wasn't a web show. But uh, High Maintenance, Broad City, Drunk History, like those all had solid numbers. Right. I guess those three guys. And I was friends with the guys that made Drunk History and that and I'm, already, I'm already 0 for 1 <laughs> in, in that category. There's something else I'm forgetting. 
what else is there? Well, you could say diary of an awkward black girl turned into insecure. Right. And there's things like the fine brothers did the react show and they got a TV show and Grace Helbig got a TV show, but they didn't really, you know, get the traction that they needed to stay around. I mean, also like miss 2059 is a million dollar show that, you know, hundreds of thousands of people presumably have watched. Like, I don't know why we're quibbling about how like the the delivery format. yeah. 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 I mean, you know, I think when we say, I want to direct TV. We're talking about like making a living doing PGA <laughs> stuff yeah. that's on TV. Yeah. I mean, it's all, it, it <laughs> but is. also here we are sitting in Ord's beautiful living room. <laughs> yeah, <sighs> kind of get rid of this house and yeah. that and stuff. It's fucking great. <laughs> making yeah. this excuse for me. You direct full time. We yeah, have a podcast no, no. about it. I, I, I just I failed. <laughs> this is an argument we have all the time. But like, I guess I, I'm just having a hard time. Like. Uh, all really, I'm saying, I feel like we're splitting hairs. I'm just saying that TV seems to me personally to be v- probably the more difficult. I feel like I can get a studio film before I can get a t- network TV show. Sure, maybe. All I know is that my parents won't watch either, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> who cares? <laughs> so right. <laughs> anyway, let's move on to our, <laughs> to our final segment, which we call Unpaid Endorsements. So I've got two things. The first is an LA only one. So sorry, everybody, but I promise I'll make up for it. Have you guys seen the the Jerry Maguire video store over no. on Sunset? It's not far from you. No. So it's right by Mohawk Bend. Okay. Um, there's like a old, it was like a boutique or something, like a small little storefront that went out of business. And then the collective, everything is terrible, which they do like a lot of internet videos or kind of like this weird art collective where they'll kind of find like an old industrial movie or an after school special or something and they'll cut it down into kind of just the worst parts. That's <laughs> it's incredible. Kind of awesome. yeah. So it's so awesome. And they've been doing it for a long time. So they rented this space on Sunset Boulevard. It's just a small little space and turned it into a video store, like like a blockbuster, but it only has copies of Jerry Maguire. <laughs> and, oh my god. And there are literally thousands of copies of of jerry Maguire on vhs cool so it's, it's an art installation it's an art installation and they're doing shows and stuff and if you go into the 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 xxx section in the back there's yeah. like merch and stuff that you can buy but there's a guy like in a, a red uniform with a name tag for the jerry Maguire video store that tells you all about it you sign up for the mailing list and they will give you a laminated like rental card wow it is a treat. So I definitely recommend. I think it's. I mean, going. how insane what? is it that yeah. like a video stores are like from our grandparents' age that it's like we're it's retro to have a video. Why? Why did they pick card. that movie? I don't remember any. Like, is there a reference in the movie or something? Should have no. Be kind. Like rewind. I think that it was just kind of one of those Show movies because like it, it was like a situation where when I I worked at a, a Hollywood video for a couple summers. And I think that like those big blockbuster movies, they just, the business was like, yes, we have Jerry Maguire. So they just had like a couple hundred, hundred copies per blockbuster or whatever. Right. So I think it was just kind of probably cheap to get that. Many. Do you think, did they write to every video store and they're like, you're out of business, send us your, <laughs> send copies, us your of copies of Jerry Maguire? I, you know, I don't know the story behind that, but it is an impressive number and it's, it's the sleeves and like the VHS is in there. What studio did it? I feel like this was created by like a PA at Sony that walked into a back room <laughs> and was like, there are thousands of copies of Jerry Maguire. Yeah, like, no, but there, yeah. I know every movie, like my movie, our first one, you know, our distributor has 
like 10,000 copies of our DVD like in sitting a, yeah, in, in a room. Arizona somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. Which you paid for. Which we paid for. We paid them to ship them to Walmart and we paid them to ship them back from Walmart <laughs> and they Ugh. are unsold. Well, yes. like, stay tuned. You can open your own art installation yeah. soon. So that's my first one, Jerry Maguire video store. I got some socks that are so great, you guys. They're Jerry Maguire socks. But the other one is for the new year, I collated all of the AFI top 100 lists. Mm. So they did one Mm -hmm. in 98 and one in 2007. And as a kid, when I was working in those video stores, I wanted to try and watch them all, right? And it was super hard because like, you know, the African Queen's only out on Laserdisc or whatever, right? Like dating myself. So now it's very easy. Yeah. You can watch all of those movies on Amazon Prime, worst case scenario, for like a couple bucks a pop. And so my recommendation is make a list of movies and watch them, right? It could yeah. be like a director or it could be one of those lists. But, you know, it takes out that equation of like, mm, I don't know what to watch yeah. or anything like that. It's only a couple movies a week. It's manageable. Yeah. It's awesome. And I'm having yeah. a blast doing it. That's awesome. I started doing that with actually with we were oh, talking about AFI Fincher. List? No, oh, with Fincher because I was like, I'm just going to I was going to like pick directors and just watch through like Catherine yeah. Bigelow is another one where it's like you're watching the progression of their career. And it's yeah. actually really cool. It's so fun. Yeah. yeah. Killer. Yeah. If you were to listen to our show, you'd know that Matt already endorsed the master series where they just take you through the career of a director in oh, one afternoon. Cool. Yeah. I did not even know. I, I watch the actor's studio still sometimes, which is like. So cheesy and wonderful, but it's it's so, it's so fascinating. It's I love the all the talk about the craft and how people got into doing what they're doing. Yeah, he ripped us off. <laughs> yeah, ripped in. Um, cool. I'll go. I'll go real quick because yeah. I'll probably forget them because they're so not great. <laughs> Number one, I got a new TV. It's a smart TV, and it like makes everything else I own obsolete. It has Netflix. It has Amazon Prime. It has Hulu. It has Pandora. It has Spotify. Connects wirelessly to my speakers. It's just plugged into the electricity. It has Wi-Fi. Obviously, you don't have to plug it in. It has uh, The only thing it doesn't have is like iTunes. So I still kept my Apple TV, but I never even use it. Yep. Smart TVs. The new ones, they're just like. That's awesome. Yeah. My, like, I feel like I have all those the last devices year connected. model. Because mine, mine has like Netflix, Amazon, and one, but it doesn't have Spotify or anything. Is it of those Samsung? Things. Yeah. Oh, you I can think. install new apps. Oh, really? Yeah. That's what I'm doing tonight. Yeah, right? And I got, because originally I bought a Kindle Fire Stick because Apple doesn't like Amazon. I couldn't watch Amazon Prime stuff, and it was just a whole mess. And my wife hates wires all of a sudden. I like, can't have anything wired to anything. So this is really nice. My other thing, I mean, this is super obvious, but when you're doing like a vomit draft of like a treatment or a script or something, what I always do is like, I think of what movie structure I really like. We were talking about this before the podcast and mine is like kind of similar. It's about a guy that has delusions and isn't sure what's real and what's not real. And it's kind of, kind of similar to fight club. So if you just type in like, you know, you know, the name of a movie and beat sheet, like, mm-hmm. especially if it's a movie like fight club, but most movies that were in theaters, like people have broken them down sequence by sequence. And I just kind of, look at what is happening to their character and kind of figure out what mine is and get all the beats the same. And it just makes with writing anything I can do to not have to think about stuff or come up with things I try to do. And so I feel like it makes that part easier to just get like all the sequences out on, on a piece of paper. So Google, check it out. (laughs) That's my plug. Google. Oh yeah. 
so my first one is I started rewatching Breaking Bad. Oh. Because I, we were like working on this idea that kind of has some. I was just like, I don't remember this pilot, and it's so awesome. That pilot yeah. is incredible. It's so because I, I I haven't watched it since it first came out, and we I mean I watched the entire series in like two weeks, but I forgot how amazing yeah. that this pilot show is. I was pitching last year, we were like rewriting the pilot, and I read the Breaking Bad pilot, and I was like. God, we got to rewrite this whole thing. And yeah. I basically, I copied the Breaking Bad. Well, that's why I had. Like I actually had beat. read it like a couple of months ago, and then, but then I watched it. And I was like, ah, oh, yeah. yeah. So that is, like I, that I've cold only, open, right? Like he just he so pulls a trigger. Right? He's he, he's in his underwear. Oh right, like ready to commit suicide. Cut to credits. Yeah, like the talk about stakes, or in, like it's almost like he's he's at first he's gonna shoot the sirens that are coming oh, at him right. and then yeah, he's yeah. going to kill himself. And yeah. then you're like, I honestly, even having watched the series was like, what's going on? When is this? Cause I was yeah, like, yeah. I knew it was the end of the episode, but in my head it was actually like the end of the series. That mm-hmm. he, so I was like, what? And then they're like cut to three weeks late or three weeks before. And you're like, Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. So that's my, that's my, uh, and then my other one is I'm like one chapter away from finishing Tignataro's book, which is called I'm just a person. And it's really awesome. It's, I mean, it's a super quick read. Like I read it in like two days. So it's, it's very easy and it's a her voice. And, but it's kind of this interesting reminder of like how much stuff can suck and like things get piled on. Like she gets like a bacterial infection and then her mom dies and she gets cancer and she gets broken up with like all these things happen within this really short period of time. And she was like, nobody really knew who she was. She did like open mic nights and stuff. And then she goes, she's like, I'm just going to do this thing. And she writes this whole stand-up show half an hour or the day that she's like going on stage and does the thing that everyone's seen of like, hey, everyone, I have cancer and blows up. And yeah, well, Louis C.K. happens to be in the audience, right? He he was actually part of it. So she did it at this comedy club that she had been at. And they at Largo, right? Yeah. And they the I guess the owner of the I don't know who books comedy shows, but he had put up Flanagan Flanagan. It is. Yeah. So I don't know what is that title, though? An He's owner King of Largo, yeah. I think. Yeah. So yeah. I think he is the owner and booker in that. Yeah. Case. yeah. But she was super sick and he was like, well, just, you know, come like she had found out and told him that she had cancer. So he was like, you know what? Just come do this show next week. So he lined up, you know, it was Bill Burr and. Louis C.K. and uh, Mary Lynn. Uh, Mary Lynn Rice yeah, 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 yeah. Who's awesome. And so Tig put herself kind of like in the middle because she was like, well, if this tanks, then like Bill Burr and Louis C.K. are sure. going after <laughs> me. So everyone will feel like they got their money's worth and it'll be fine. But it's just such an interesting, I don't know, it's an interesting sort of anecdote to me in the, in the sense that, anecdote? Anecdote. It's an yeah. interesting <laughs> anecdote to me because you... Like, even when everything is terrible, you just never quite know where the next thing is going to come from or like what's going to work. And I but I do feel like the one thing you can do is be honest and tell the story in the best way that you know how in that moment from wherever you're coming from. And that's what she did. And that's what people connected to. Yeah. And try not to be boring is the, is and the, don't be boring. <laughs> is the antidote for the, that. the an- antidote to that anecdote. Yeah. Because I do think about that a lot, like, oh, maybe I'll just tell exactly what I think. And then I'm like, oh, this is getting pretty boring. Well, that's <laughs> uh, that's like everybody, though, like sitting around their table and like, oh, that would make such a great movie. And you're like, no, it would be a terrible movie. Yeah. 
But I so guess yeah, you have to filter yourself. But. Yeah, and if you're primed with being on stage and reading a crowd and being really good at that, sure, you probably yeah. can do it naturally without thinking about it too much. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool. Well, yeah. thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having What's, me. Uh, yeah. How can we find you? Are you on Twitter? Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter. Everything's kind of my name, Maura Anderson, M-A-U-R-A-A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N. So Twitter, I think it's Maura Anderson 3, and my website's just my name. And I'm on all the things people are on. Not super active, I, like because my film is also like Heartland, the film, mm-hmm. and Heartland underscore movie, depending on what Ooh, underscore. Yeah, it wasn't av- like the same thing wasn't available yeah. on all of them, so we're like, oh, we'll find it. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, but yeah, okay. cool. Well, if you want to find out more about the show, you can visit us at justshootitpod.com or on Twitter at justshootitpod. And you can follow me at Mr. Madden Or me at Smitey Pileg. Most of my tweets are just retweeting people that like our show. Yeah. So uh, if you want to retweet from Oren. <laughs> yeah. Tweet where, I wanted to know where that name came from. Oh, Smitey Pileg? Yeah. Well, I talk about it in episode three. Oh, you're you're, you're, on, you're yeah. stuck on two. I get it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 I've jumped around. Yeah, yeah. It was just a funny name that we named, like the char- main character of this first short film I did with my friend Jen. And she always thought the name Smitey was funny, and I thought Pileg was funny. And I don't know. Cool. And when I first signed up for Twitter, I was like, I'm not going to trust these people with my real name, because it was like 1999 or whenever that was. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, cool. Okay, well, uh, rate us on iTunes if you can. Leave a review. That would be awesome. Tell your friends. Thanks to Eric Rapau for editing this episode. And Jazard for the outro music. And we will catch you next time. Thanks, guys. 